Welcome to The Craft. I'm your host, Mae Globus. This podcast is a collection of intimate conversations on artistry, mastery, and life with talented, passionately curious creatives and entrepreneurs. Most are dear friends, some are those I've admired from afar. I hope you enjoy these conversations, this exploration of the humanity that connects all of us as much as I do having them. Thank you for being here and for listening. Co-founder of Street Dreams magazine, Eric Veloso always had the hustle and photographer's eye in him. From learning how to frame shots while working in film to learning the ropes of distribution at Aritzia, Eric followed his natural instincts, growing street dreams with his business partners from a print publication to also a creative studio. Born in Calgary and raised in Vancouver, he was taught the virtue of hard work by watching his single mother go from a hotel maid to director of entertainment services. His passion for photography came in his teens after a skateboard injury sidelined him. To pass time at the skate park while recovering, he picked up a camera shooting everything urban. While in New York in 2014, a faded run-in with a photographer that he followed on Instagram named Steve Irby led him, Steve, and Mike Cobarubia to found Street Dreams magazine, which quickly grew in the following years to include a creative studio, clothing line available in Tokyo, and loyal global community. In this conversation, we dive deep into the origins of his hustle and growing up in a Latino household, Chilean to be exact, the combination of hard work and right timing when it came to the birth of Street Dreams, the magazine's guest-edited issue with Jeff Staple and the issue launch party that shut down a New York City block, what it's been like creating campaigns and activations for the likes of Nike, New Balance, Tribeca Film Festival, Coach, HBO, and more, a hilarious interaction with comedian George Lopez and actor Don Cheadle at a panel talk in Soho's Apple Store. How a 2015 New York Times article catapulted the Street Dreams brand, what's next on the horizon, and much more. Please enjoy this conversation with Eric Veloso, one of the most forward-thinking, intentional, and energetically generous humans you'll ever meet. Eric Veloso, welcome to The Craft. Thank you for having me. This is a very special moment. I know it really is. Well, I feel like every moment is very special with you when we have our conversations. So, Likewise. yeah, yeah. It's definitely magic. So it really is. <laughs> There's a lot of idea making that happens always in our conversations, like low key alchemy. Yeah, low. Key, I love that. Yeah, low key alchemy for sure. Mm. So I was connecting the dots yesterday on how we met, and we met five years ago when. Uh, you and our mutual friend Smokey were in, you had offices in the same building in Gastown, the Dominion building. Yes, we did. Yeah. And I remember he said, hey, come over and visit me. And I was like, yeah, no problem. Drop by the office. And you were sitting there. Yep. And Smokey, always the connector, was like, you you two need to talk. And we were like, okay. And then we had our one-on-one, yep. yeah, maybe a couple of weeks later. And then I think we had like an hours long conversation. Yeah, we definitely took Smokey up on the offer to talk yeah. and, and we sort of deep dove right off the jump. Um, yeah. I think right off the jump, there's a kindred spirit um, yeah. type of feeling. Um, I truly believe going back to like the energy factor behind life that we all sort of meet each other for a specific purpose. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I think it's subjective in terms of obviously the way that things transpire in everyone's life. But yeah. uh, I try to look at, you know, keeping my energy sort of open to finding the people that I think will amplify 
something in my life mm-hmm. and you're definitely somebody that uh that's coming in f- filled a, a little bit of a void so it, it's a pleasure Aww. and thank shout out to Smokey for the, the connection yes thank you and Smokey. shout out to the Dominion building so that yeah. was like a f- fifth floor Dominion bu- yes. building we were there for six years yeah. um, and that was where we built a lot of ideas yeah we really did and you and I have had so many conversations over over the years and we've been discussing ideas on you know creativity how to drive culture forward um, community and life really yeah. we've talked a lot about like life and spirituality and philosophy so so we get we get real deep and yep. fun fact about five years ago I think five or four when the craft was just a whisper of an idea you and I were chatting about the craft potentially being on street dreams radio which yes. you hadn't yet launched yet yeah it was definitely just the same idea that you had in your mind was around the same time that we had manifested that idea as well yeah yeah, yeah. and then you know a couple years passed things got busy yeah. and then uh now you're now you're on the show so this is it's so beautiful this is it this is a full circle yes and it's 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 amazing seeing like the growth since the moment that we met in terms of like that inception of the idea that you had for the craft mm-hmm. um and of course things sort of maneuver in this like ebb and flow kind of kind of uh, i want to say system um, so seeing it come to fruition and you being now 30 episodes deep and plus plus um, it's a joy to see it come to life and congratulations to you and all the guests that you've had so far because it's it's an amazing journey to listen to as a fan as well so thank you super honored to be here so thank you and, and congrats on on launching street dreams radio too yes. what a big thing so that was a pandemic move um, obviously in 2020 um, a lot of us had to slow down and and sort of refocus almost by default because we didn't have any other options. Um, So in terms of us and Street Dreams Radio, it was always something that's been bubbling in the background because we have so much connection to music. Um, Mm -hmm. Everyone on our team just has a deep affinity for everything sound related, Mm -hmm. including having a lot of um, DJs on our team as well, including myself, who've always sort of been into the subcultures of subcultures and music has just always been like the tapestry that sort of is always present through everything. So even as a creative, you know, you listen to music, you, you connect with it. So, um, Street Dreams Radio, I think was just like a full circle moment again of us being six years deep into the project, um, launching our web space and beside that was Street Dreams Radio, which was basically the extension of the new media model that Street Dreams has endeavored upon. Um, and really just naturally taking these steps into really creating all of these different tiers that Street Dreams represents through creativity in general and representing the art that we love. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. And we will dive deep into Street Dreams. Yeah. Um, we'll put a, a pin in this one. But I'd love to go back to you as a kid. And you were born in Calgary but moved to Vancouver when you're eight months old with your mother. Yes. Who had you quite young. Yeah, she did. Yeah. And uh, you... Um, your background is Chilean. It is. Yeah. Uh, shout out to Santiago, Chile. Uh, yeah, so my family, including my mother and six siblings and my grandparents, uh, immigrated to Canada in the late 70s. Soon after, um, I was born uh, to my mom um, and my father uh, and sort of grew up like the, the baby of the family in a lot of ways. Um, of course, my mom had me when she was 17, so it sort of kind of threw me into the mix of sort of just growing up with my aunts and uncles. Um, the youngest one, Cecilia, who's only nine years my elder. So I was always in this rambunctious, um, spicy Latino environment that had all these ebbs and flows of 
you know, music playing at all times, a lot of parties, a lot of emotions, a lot of inspiration. And I think I was really aware from, a, from an early age in terms of absorbing all the things around me in, in a manner that just created an identity in this imagination that would go wild at times um, mm -hmm. in terms of just sort of dreaming a lot um, as a kid. And I think that really transpired itself into, you know, moving its way in and out of my life in a, in, in a sort of like cohesive and uncohesive manner at times. Mm. Um, but yeah, I owe everything to, to that upbringing. Um, it was a beautiful place to, to grow up and it really made me who I am. And as you know, the immigrant story is filled with hustle of all kinds. So that in and of itself is something that I wear, um, you know, like a badge of honor in mm. terms of making good on the, you know, opportunity that my family afforded me to grow up in this environment and be blessed to be a Canadian and, you know, do what it is that makes me happy. And it's all owed to the foundation that, you know, these mm. people built for us. You know, good and bad, it, it was always uh, an experience. And I think that I owe a lot to the hustle. Mm. I, I just, you were saying something and I wanted to ask you, you were talking about dreaming, you know, what kind of things would you dream about as a kid? I, I would always have very like sp spaced out dreams. Um, <laughs> I don't know if that makes sense, but yeah, always watching cartoons, growing up, reading comic books, um, just really being into like, you know, things like science fiction and futuristic things from the from the beginning like playing with robots whether it be transformers or gobots like all of these things that really made my imagination super hyperactive um i think translated in my dreams so for, i mean my very early sort of vivid dreams definitely had me you know floating and flying through space and things of that nature um then you know michael jordan would be in a few dreams here and there maybe mm. some wayne gretzky dreams <laughs> um but yeah just everything that i saw i think what was i kind of cue it up to me absorbing all of these things that again just go back to the genetic makeup that you know happens once you start defining what your personality is mm. so I think all of these things just really added to this very vivid visual sense of how it is that I experienced the world um, and I was always a visual learner you know like that in and of itself was it was hard for me to be into math but you know show me some history with pictures and books and I could really absorb that in a manner that mm. really made sense to me um yeah so I, I think in and of itself yeah the dreaming aspect of it I think is just built from all of these things that I think from an early age I was super obsessed with mm. um yeah so it, it was it was a really cool time to be alive to, I think you yeah, know like in the 80s and the 90s and dream you know? and yeah yeah and imagine you know for sure. What a future looks like. Yes, and, exactly. Yeah. And and your mom, what was she like? She, I know she was a hustler, wasn't she's she? She's amazing, yeah. So shout out to my mom, uh, Fanny Veloso. She is uh, the most hardworking, coolest woman that I know. Um, yeah, so early on, she was always working and going to school and making better for herself. Um, so I've, o I've always like watched her uh, sort of get an inch and take a mile behind any opportunity that she had. And that in and of itself was super inspiring as a kid to just see, um, you know, her always trying to build a better life for me um, based around the idea of just giving me everything that I needed, but also giving me the space to be who I was without mm. at times too many restrictions. But I want to say like more of like a freestyle approach to life where there weren't too many confinements for me as a kid and like, I want to say lack of structure, but I guess like general structure in terms of um, the idea of really feeling your way through the moments and 
having a relationship with her was sort of like a brother and sister um, in a lot of ways. So we sort of grew up with each other in a lot of ways as well. So mm. um, yeah, she's just been the person that I think just allowed me to be who I was. And that's including all the goods and bads, all the ups and downs and allowing me the space to reflect what the greater purpose is by just having to find my way with her support firmly planted on my back at every moment and every mm. curve. Um, so I owe everything to her and just everything that she inspired in me was also, you know, a lot of culture, um, you know, whether it be the music that she was listening to when I was growing up, you know, things like Supertramp and the Rolling Stones and Def Leppard. And, you know, we could just go down the gambit of all these amazing things that I was experiencing with her, like whether it be going to the movies, like those are the most vivid memories that I have of mm. uh, the, the times of us growing up. So, um, yeah, she's gone on to have um, given me the opportunity to um, grow up for about 15 years as an only child, but then had my sisters, uh, Shania and Aisha, 15 years after myself. And then soon, uh, shortly after that, my little brother Lester, who's 13. So my family has grown in a very, I want to say, not an unorthodox manner, but I guess in the, in, in the, in the way that it should have grown. Mm. Um, so I'm very, very excited to now have younger siblings to inspire. Um, yeah. And hopefully they see something in me that's just uh, built through actions and a lot of, uh, you know, making it happen. Mm, I'm, I'm sure they do. And yeah, your mom really did make it happen. She she worked at the Sutton, I remember you saying. Yeah, she did. And she made her way up to entertainment director. She did. Yeah. So she was a maid uh, at Sutton Place while she was. Um, so prior to be called Sutton Place, like throwback, it was called Lemuridian. Mm. And while she was going to school at VCC, I think finishing up her B.A., um, she was working at uh, Limeridian as a maid. Um, so she was, you know, coming in and cleaning your rooms, knocking to make sure that it's, it's, it's housekeeping is here um, for a few years while she finished up school. And I think soon after that transitioned her way into a position within the, um, the sales, I want to say, division of Limeridian. And then soon after that, just hustled her way into like the entertainment sort of like um, department mm. and worked her way to entertainment director. Um, and this was in like the heyday of the 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 Hollywood North boom in like yeah. the mid nineties. Yeah. So in and of itself that sort of opened up like a whole opportunity for me to understand how that side of business worked in terms of like making movies and also having a ton of perks uh through the process. So she would be able to, you know, be like hanging out with Ice Cube one day because he's here filming a movie or Johnny Depp when he was doing 21 Jump Street. Uh, so like she would actually be the person that would be there greeting everyone and making sure that their hospitality was set when they came into the hotel and was really schmoozing and making sure the clients were super comfortable while they stayed for, you know, sometimes six months at a time. That's right. Yeah, yeah they're like filming. This, yeah, so yeah. they actually had um, a long-term stay section at um, Limeradium, which eventually turned into Sutton Place about five years after she got mm. her position as uh, entertainment director. So they have, like, a apartments where, oh, like, a lot of okay. the, the, the top-level talent would stay. So, yeah, that in and of itself just opened me up into, I mean, I was always obsessed with films as a kid, like, growing up whether that be my favorite tv shows or just movies in general like just replaying them over and over and just like always being obsessed with sort of again that visual aspect of what all these things were always inspiring me with so all kinds of film all kinds of film yeah mm. i want to say yeah the, i mean there's everything from disney to just the you know like the the cartoons we used to watch whether that be bugs bunny or you know, like these Looney Tunes. Yes, I remember that. Things. Yeah. Um, yeah so, every, I, I mean, I can't think of. I, 
uh, we could just do a whole podcast probably on me speaking about each film <laughs> so I don't want to dive into that rabbit hole yeah. too much but everything that you could ever think of so mm. I was very interested and I remember early on maybe like at 13 years old reading the credits and seeing what like a producer was and you know asking her these questions and that sort of sparked this uh, potential sort of like inception point in my mind in terms of potentially exploring that um, mm. you know sometime in my future yeah. in terms of trying to get into the film industry in some way shape or form which is what you did I did yeah yeah, yeah. so soon after high school yeah mm -hmm. was that that was when you had the apprenticeship in LA right yes yes for VIP yep. which was the show with Pamela Anderson Lee yes Tommy Lee's girl <laughs> at the time yeah mm -hmm. um yeah so so basically after high school um I went into just understanding how to get my credit uh, getting accredited to work in the film industry so with my mom's connections um through the whole scope of everything that I was trying to learn uh, about the film industry and how movies were made um I came upon this role called director of photography and the director of photography is the person that obviously is is actually there working with the directors sort of set the scenes whether that be the lighting, whether that be the time of day that the scene is shot, and having the picture set so that basically the director comes in and you know creates the scenes and films perfectly for what it is that's in, in you know on the storyboard. So when I started learning about that, and coupled with my early obsession with photography, um, that's born out of just like family photo albums mm. and always having somebody taking photos, f you know, during these times and looking through these albums, getting things printed and just having the tangibility behind like these memories that were being created so i think my affinity for photography specifically came from that early on aspect that as it is a part of our lives now with our phones early on in those times as well like in the 80s and the 90s you know you were f um, documenting everything with film cameras mm -hmm. and you would have to get them printed so there was like these always you were always inundated with like four by six prints and uh negatives um so that i think was sort of my first affinity into into that realm in terms of photography Soon after that, um, started skateboarding, which was one of my really, really first like loves um, as a kid. And from there, stumbled upon photography one time that I, I busted my ankle trying to get into um, a skate bowl. And that's when my skate career ended because I realized that I didn't have the pain threshold to be a, a, a skateboarder. But I get out of, get out of the, 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 the park and sit down on a bench and beside me was a Canon AE-1 film camera. And from that moment on, it was probably grade eight. Um, I started taking photos with uh, film cameras and using skating as sort of like the first subject matter that I sort of focused on. Um, I could do it with my friends. We could just hang out and just document things that were happening with one another. So that early on was sort of like the, I think the first inception point again for photography mm. in my life, born out of like this obsessive magazine culture that I was in, in terms of magazine being the first forms of internet and that being the way that you experienced everything prior to uh, the World Wide Web being active. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so yeah, so always inundated with physical and tangible items that preserve memories or communicated culture to me in some way, shape, or form. CDs, tapes, mm. vinyl, um, you know, all of these things that you held. Yeah, I was I was thinking about it because I, I, I was like, I don't think I've ever asked Eric this, but um, I wanted to know, I'm curious, what, it, yeah, exactly what it is about photography that you love so much. Is it like, setting up the shot is it like the result is it everything like i i don't think we've ever really deep no. dove into I don't think why you yeah. why you truly love it it's the spontaneity mm. it's um there's a famous photographer which i'm sure a lot of people are familiar with and his name is Henri cartier bresson mm. and his he has this not, i don't want to call it theory but um a context for the way that he 
I mean, he had so many gems in terms of how he framed photography as the art that it is. Um, and one of the things that he sort of lived by was a motto, or I guess a saying or a context called the decisive moment. And this is when I, this is me learning a lot about um, him specifically when I did my art history program uh, during my photography years. Um, and basically the decisive moment is, is sort of that idea of connecting your mind. When you take a photo and you press the shutter, it's a connection of your mind, your heart, and your spirit mm. all in this instantaneous moment of just watching something happen and choosing to encapsulate it by that click of the shutter, but always shooting with intention. Mm. Um, and sometimes like his approach was finding frames and standing there for hours at a time and just waiting for the right, the, the size of moment for him to happen. So the patience of understanding of just observing, um, and I think this goes back to, again, just my upbringing, I was always observing. I was observing the adults that were you know, around me at all times. I was observing my family and, and you know, what they did. I was observing the th my school life and you know, always entering rooms and feeling like I was very sort of cognizant of things that were happening. So I was, again, going back to the aspect of visual learning, I think it was always just there, like computing images mm. at all times. So that in and of itself, I think, is where the love came from. Um, so yeah, it, it's, it's the approach of, I'm a street photographer at heart, so I love just roaming the streets and being able to just look at things and observe them and you know, immortalize them through my lens. Mm. I'm a very private photographer, so I'm not um, really shooting street photography in the sense of taking portraits of people on the streets or, you know, shooting from a distance and getting people in frame alive. I really think it's about- It's a moment. Yeah, it's a moment in like the space in and of itself. Mm. Um, I'm trying to capture like the quietness of life. I'm trying to, you know, transmit how still things are and trying to find like the empty moments through, you know, like the craziest city streets. So sometimes shooting in New York and like standing on the block and just waiting till it completely clears, clears out. So you can just have that frame in and of itself by itself. It's something that I search for. So it's the quiet moments. I think that counteracts a lot of like the hyperactive thoughts that I have. So photography came in as like the medium to allow me to sit down, focus, look at things and kind of calm down how fast my mind moves at times. Mm. Um, yeah, so that and I think transitioning back to the director of photography role that I got um, soon after high school, did my uh, film uh, courses and hopped on a plane and went to L.A. to do, um, you know, a small apprenticeship with uh, Brian England was his name from uh, VIP. And it was kind of like a dream sort of like scenario to be able to go do that. Um, but soon into the apprenticeship, I realized that I wasn't in the headspace to understand how to sort of like take direction um, and I kind of left it behind. Uh, I sort of like dipped my toes into it, but I don't think I was ready to sort of dive into like the the full smorgasbord of what that entailed um, mm. in terms of sort of like the discipline and I guess the direction that you needed to take in that role. I was, I've always been an independent thinker, so I didn't ever want to be told what to do. Yes. Um, so that kind of acted a little bit. So that sort of like led me on the path of sort of coming back to Vancouver, working in the film industry for another five years as a production assistant. So I worked with a, commercial um, um, agency that produced a lot of uh, car advertisements. So that was my daytime gig for about four years, just working on set through every aspect of it, learning the ins and outs of the film industry. But um, it burnt you out too, didn't it? It did. Yeah, yeah it's, a, it's, it's a very tough, uh, demanding schedule. So um, yeah, that got to the point where, you know, I felt like I was, had reached my bandwidth level in terms of how much I wanted to keep doing that. So 
soon after that, um, left the film industry behind and just got a regular job uh, at Aritzia in their distribution center. And this was through my um, my girlfriend at the time, wife now, Celine, who has been working at Aritzia for close to, I think, if I'm not mistaken, I don't want to say it wrong, 10 plus years. Um, so she- Long time. Yeah, long time and amazing company to work for. I've seen her, you know, really develop herself in a manner that's inspired me to, you know, get my shit together and make sure that I can equal the, the amount of dedication that she has to her craft. So yeah, so went to work a regular job just in retail distribution for about four, four years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then you had a moment, didn't you, where you were like, is this what I yeah. I want to do? And it was actually Celine that posed the question to you if- Very true. If what if you could do anything right now, what would you be doing? Yeah, yeah. So I got, I got to the point where I think my bandwidth level was hit too in that, in that moment. So for me, it's, it's always been sort of like this, this path of the most resistance at times. I know some people say take the path with the least resistance, but I'm hard-headed, so I want to take the path that it's the hardest and I'm ready to take the, the bumps and bruises. And th- I'm only just saying this now in terms of a lot of life lessons and trying to figure out the why. I think mm. that's very important to me. Yeah. Um, Where do you get that from? Like wanting to take the road less uh, traveled? Coming from an immigrant family. Mm. I mean, mm-hmm. it goes back to that, you know, like we had to watch our parents, if they come from a different country, just hustle for everything that they needed, you know? So whether it be learning a new language, whether it be integrating themselves into a society that at times didn't want them here. It's uh, figuring out the why is important because I think that that's what we do without sometimes knowing it. But growing up in a, in a family that had every level of hustle in the mix from the highest level of um, excess to the lowest level of, uh, you know, unfortunate circumstances, it's the why was important to me because I think I was just trying to figure out a way not to make those same mistakes. So if that was something that I could sort of find within sometimes chaotic things, um, within myself more than anything, and you know, obviously surrounding circumstances, but very early on, I, th- I think I started to figure out that I needed to change things in order to sort of flip the script a little bit, because if not, then we keep repeating the same things over and over. And you know, unfortunately, sometimes that leads into this generational cycle of you know, these things that at times could be self-destructive. Mm-hmm. So for me and my mental health and all these battles that, I ha- that I've had with uh, understanding my emotions and how to moderate that, um, creativity was really always the way for me to understand that I had a purpose and that was my why. So going back to the Ritzia times, I was sitting in my car before my shift every morning and just having to sort of like propel myself into there and kind of feeling a little bit down because I felt that I had painted, my, painted myself into a corner. Not knocking the, the process because I had, had excelled in that career as well. I had a, you know, a good paying job, it was super sta- stable, um, but I felt unfulfilled. Um, so during those days, I just took this leap of faith where one day I just came in and, and, and I quit. And um, I told Celine and my friends that I was gonna go back to school for photography because I thought that that was gonna be the way for me to sort of backtrack and understand what my why was. Mm. And it made me sort of be off track in order to find myself to, to the right track. So photography in a lot of ways saved my life. And through that, found a, a, a path to sort of, you know, again, get an inch and take a mile with it. And the timing was perfect for a lot of things that uh, sort of are serendipitous in a lot of ways and sort of very cosmic in terms of... Um, this is where Street Dreams came. Yeah, this is where Street Dreams came. And it, I think it was, it finally got to the point where in... Um, 
2006 when my grandfather passed away, uh, who was basically like the patriarch of our family. Um, when he passed away, that sort of shook me to the core in a lot of ways, but it made me also validated in a lot of things that I believed um, through experiences that happened um, with him in, during his transition and ever since. So I, even though it, was, it, it sucked, obviously, um, I give the biggest thanks to him because I think in that moment is when a, f a switch really flipped in my head where it was like, at that point I was being super passive where I was waiting for things to happen to me. Mm. And when he passed away, something jarred in my system to A, validate what it is that I had been almost driving myself crazy because I believed in it so deeply um, to understand that I needed to go out and get it. And, you know, uh, in and of that moment, that sort of led me into that stage where it all culminated with me sitting in the car half an hour before my shift, saying, I gotta do something different. And during those times, just finding like little social media platforms that were allowing me to start, start, start sharing my photography that sort of like reignited the passion for uh, the reason why I was actually gonna start doing it. Um, so I started with Tumblr, and then it moved into Twitter, and then Instagram was a platform that launched in 2010. And then from there, that sort of was the, I wanna say the vehicle that allowed me to find my new family, my new family, my new, business partners and a, a whole new career that has fulfilled so much and is continuously still evolving till this day. Yeah, and you were able to build a, a, a digital community, but a community nonetheless. Yes. Um, and, you know, it's it's been incredible what you, you guys have, have done um, in terms of, you know, even giving other photographers a voice um, and an ability for their work to be seen yeah. through the, the hashtag community building that you guys were doing yeah exactly yeah and it was built off that um so i go to school in 2011 to do my photography um uh certification at langara college so it's, a, it's about a three-year program um so during that time start so for me going back to school for, for photography was I've, I've always been inspired and i've always been super obsessed with everything art design culture related sports super super heavily obsessed with just looking at reference at all times when i was growing up uh, collecting magazines like the walls on my in my room were no white space like it was completely filled up with everything that i loved so there's a, been a deep obsession for us in terms of the things that we're inspired by culturally that spans every aspect of art so being a canadian kid kind of growing up um you know sometimes there was a little bit of a lack of identity in terms of things that we were looking at around us that inspired us so I think also the, the, the British connection to British Columbia specifically, um, the UK and having the queen on our money already had us sort of tuned into, into that side of the world. Mm. So already like I was always looking at London, Japan, New York, Berlin, uh, LA, you know, Barcelona. Like these were the places that inspired me and I think my personality and my taste level right from the jump because we were always looking at these environments. And I say, and I say we, including my co-founder Mike C, who's um, my counterpart here in Vancouver, um, we've just been like obsessively just looking at everything that inspired us. So I think our taste level in terms of what it is that we knew we wanted to do was already there. So for me in photography, I had all these images in my mind that I already wanted to create. Like I knew how I wanted to shoot. I knew how to define a style for myself mm -hmm. based off all the inspiration that I had from the things that I looked at obsessively. Yeah. So going back to school was just learning the technical side of like, how do you light? How do you use studio equipment? How do you, you know, compose? So for me, the biggest, the best courses during my time in the photography courses at Langara was 
composition and design, which basically our teacher came in and he basically said, here you're going to try to learn why you do what you do. So that idea of comp composition and design was just like blew my mind because it contextualized a lot of the things that I was already doing as a photographer. But now seeing that there was an actual theory to it, I was, I was mm. mind blown because it connected a lot of things in my head. So I was like, holy shit, this is an aha moment. I understand how I'm designing my photos. I understand why I like looking for hard shadows and using that as like a composition tool for a lot of the frames that I like to shoot. Mm. And then the second one was art history. So going back to the Henri Cartier-Bresson mention, art history blew my mind because you basically learned the entire process of photography from the very first photo that was taken to you know, what's happening now. Um, so early on, when you understand what people were doing with the most rudimentary tools and how they made photographs in 1900, it really instilled something in my mind in terms of never being super hyper aware of like, what kind of camera are you using or you know the latest gear or you know i have to have all these lenses like i understood that if you have a phone in your pocket or whatever it is that you have like a point and shoot film camera um whatever camera that you can get your hands on it's a thousand times better than anything that anybody had in the, in the past mm. so that instilled into me like a, again another deep intention of how it is that i approach photography so i sort of shoot like a film photographer in a lot of ways where i don't I, s I shoot film, but when I use my digital cameras, for example, like I'm always trying to be super conscious of how it is that I shoot my frames. Like sometimes mm -hmm. I'll only take like a eight gigabyte card where you can only shoot 120 pictures and, you know, really s look at the intention of what it is that I was inspired by in the art history side. Yeah. So through all of this, my P's and Q's are s starting to be set. Um, me and Mike C move in together and we start using Tumblr as sort of like this collaboration tool for us to take my photography and his graphic design skills, including um, his nephew, Ray, who's a huge part of our team as well, who now lives in London uh, and works for Mr. Porter. Yeah. Uh, so really amazing um, path that he's taking. But anyways, we started using Tumblr as like an online magazine of us sort of like sound clashing with each other. So I had my own inspiration blog called No Look Pass. And then I started um, a Tumblr blog called Street Dreams for my own street photography because I was like contextualizing what it is that I was doing and just sharing my work. Um, and then Mike and Ray were running an online site called Really Dope. And Really Dope was basically an online magazine, just layouts of things that we love, um, album reviews, just like super conceptual things done by us in-house. And then I started adding my photography to it. So all of this culmination of things are happening. Um, I'm in my film program and my uh, wife, Celine, ends up moving to New York City to um, open Aritzia stores there when they, when they took their first sort of leap into the US market. Mm. So she's, she was living in New York for a while and that's what started my rabbit hole sort of like into finding Instagram as this place that was um, an entry level into networking and understanding that there's a way to take digital communities and grow them, but also flip the script and take all the abundance of work that's being shared on digital channels and start a magazine with it and that was sort of like our the genesis of our idea that's so it's so incredible and, and i'm just thinking about all you're saying about you know the tumblr and um and you know we're the same age and i was actually doing probably around the same time you were doing that i was doing the same thing um because we had these new tools so you remember when um blogspot was oh, like yeah. the big thing. So I had, my I actually, MySpace, I, I had a blog that I started called Confessions of a Fashion Fanatic. And I was doing the same thing. I was just posting things that were really inspiring me. So it'd be like, a lot of it was fashion, yeah, obviously, but 
there was photography, there was music, I was categorizing little things on each blog, like it would be the main blog, and then I'd have these two little subsections in, yeah. in the copy. I had so much fun doing that because it it gave me this new medium to express myself, yeah. and I actually got work from it. I remember getting this message one day, and I'm like, what? Yes. It, like someone, but someone had actually really liked how I was curating my blog, and they offered me, um, the, like a, a fashion freelance writer position at Hollywood Life magazine for their online Incredible. version. And I was like, what? Where did this come from? Yes. But, you know, I was just putting, you know, myself out there. This this is me. This is yep. this is what I like. And um and actually my my current website right now um is is a Tumblr and I still use it. Like every couple of days I'll be like, what's inspiring me yes. today? And I'll 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 post it or maybe like a, a repost of someone else's yep. Tumblr. Um, but it's an amazing anthology yep. of even yourself. Very I true. like to like go back and see like what my likes were, you know, totally. I don't know, months ago, even years ago. Look at the growth. To look at the growth <laughs> and, and just look at the interests. Or maybe non-growth. Or, or non-growth, <laughs> yeah. Like, <laughs> And so I, I think it's so special that we came at we came up at a time yeah. where we had these tools to do that. And it, it, it's, it's all for the love. Mm-hmm. That's what I think separated it from it because it gave you this access point to, for me, everything that I do as like what I share on social media channels, even till this day, is just like a personal visual diary for myself that is based off of that. Mm-hmm. It's like I'm doing this for myself in terms of expressing things that I want to share visually. And it's cool that other people will like them, but really in and of itself, it's just an expression of having a place to just let that go. Mm. And yeah, it was it was a renaissance period in terms of giving us the access point to connect with people that we wouldn't have ever connected with based on visual culture and learning visual literacy. Um, I mean, there's always like the ebbs and flows and obviously like the the good and bad side of it, because there's people who, you know, use it differently than maybe that we were inspired to use it. But it's it's about obsessions, about like really knowing what you love and expressing that wholeheartedly through all, every thought and action that you have. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, I think very important to to keep in our hearts as we move forward because a lot of things I think out there are trying to skew the conversation in the other manner where it's sort of like this very fast food type of mentality where, you know, you can be one way one day and then the next day you can be completely different. But I think the identity is what really drives forward culture and understanding who you are and expressing that in a manner that might inspire others to sort of mm. find their own identity through that. Yeah, yeah. And Street Dreams was going to be digital first. Yes. But then there was this incredible story of how yeah. it ended up being print. It was, it's, yeah, it's again another serendipitous moment. So going back to the times when my wife Celine moves to New York, I start using Instagram. I'm finishing up my, my photography courses at that point and you obviously, so I'm presenting my, my final portfolio to industry professionals who they bring in for the review to kind of give you feedback and just, you know, give you, I guess, a, a, a taste of what the real world is like in terms of having people critique your work and, and say things about it. <laughs> <laughs> so you walk into these um, environments and obviously there's sort of like, see, I grew up in like as a, I love punk music. Um, I've always been sort of anti it's not establishment, not to the point of like being disrespectful because I'm a super respectful 
12 year Catholic kid that went to private school <laughs> um, and, ha you know, coming up from a Latino family, like there's a lot of respect built into everything that you do. So not disrespectful in any way, but really against the idea of somebody telling me something that maybe I don't agree with. Mm. Um, so sort of like you have the standoffish sort of approach where, you know, you walk into a room and there's, a, you know, six men sitting there and. A, there's no diversity in the room whatsoever right off the jump. So you understand sort of like what you're walking into. And that has an energy to it. So um, I remember presenting my portfolio and them asking pointed questions like, oh, so what do you want to do? Like, where do you want to, where do you want to work? So I rambled off a bunch of publications. I'm like, yo, I'm, I'm going to shoot for Vogue. I'm going to shoot for Thrasher Magazine. I'm going to shoot for uh, National Geographic someday in my life. Um, those are aspirations that I have. Like, I want to have a portfolio that's diverse enough so that I can do all of those things because that's what I felt like my human mixtape of everything that I experienced and then came out as an in, uh, output as a photographer was based on creating a diverse body of work and trying to show you that I can do it all and not, you know, limit myself to only being a certain kind of photographer. And that came from just seeing, you know, what other people were doing. And again, the inspiration from just constantly looking at work at all times. And I think that's the biggest thing for creatives is like you have to look at reference and not copy it, but be inspired by it to create your own iteration of it through your lens or your craft or your paintbrush, mm. you know, I think that's really important. So Celine goes to New York, I present my portfolio. They basically give me some feedback saying like, oh yeah, maybe one day you can be a photographer because you know, Vancouver is a small city and only a certain level of photographers get all the jobs. So I took that feedback and I was like, okay, cool. You know, obviously I don't agree with it. Um, I liked, I mean, you know, it, was, it was cool just experiencing it, but, but in and of itself, it sort of unlocked this Pandora's box of me understanding how social media was going to become a way for me and my team um, to find individuals that could help us alchemize something that's for ourselves, and that namely being a publication. So going back to my, my, my down and out stage, um, my wife Celine sat me down prior to going, taking the leap of faith of going back to school for photography. Um, I had a really um, you know, deep conversation with Celine, and she basically asked me a question, and she said, what would you do if you had any, if you could walk into any job right now and get the position, what would you do? And sat down and stopped for a second, and then I said, a magazine editor. I said, if, if I had the chance to become a magazine editor, then I would really fuck it up. Like, I could, I know how to sort of direct this, you know, tapestry of, uh, of, of different sort of emotions through print, and it was something that I've always been inspired by. So going back to the Tumblr and seeing all these images and all that stuff sort of alchemized this idea of me saying a publication would be amazing because we were already doing it online, but I really thought that if I could take the reins of something, then I could really lead it to like the promised land. So fast forward, Celine goes to New York. I start traveling back and forth a little bit more and then started to un see on Instagram that there was this amazing community of photographers being built in New York City um, very akin to me, uh, like the graffiti movement that was happening in like the 70s and the 80s and this idea of like bombing the streets and subway cars and crews and linking up with one another and people having like these photographic personalities and just seeing like this influx of community being built on the east coast of America. So lo and behold, Celine moves to New York. So during the time I started going through the rabbit hole of, of understanding that there's ways to sort of connect with people through hashtags and communities that could be built on specific Weight, um, forms of photography or you know um, just I guess different themes that you could build through f you know hashtags mm -hmm. on the Instagram platform so going through the rabbit hole um, I stumbled upon something called 16 by 9 vibes and it was had a bunch of posts by this dude named Steve Sweatpants and 
I was mind blown. I was like, yo, who is this dude? Like this was, he had these colorful captions that were attached to every post. And it was just the most New York character that I'd ever come across. Just mm-hmm. like on the, you know, this amazing thing that was now opening up again, like this Pandora's box of just like connecting with people and seeing, I'm, I'm really obsessed with the idea of like, if you connect with people through visual culture, then you're learning a lot about what they have inside. Mm-hmm. And I think there's a, there's an affinity that's built through the idea that we can look at pictures because it speaks and is capturing things that, are very personal and certain people have an emotion attached to it because as a photographer I feel like you eventually start just having the spirit to the way that your photography is being shared so right off the jump I'm like this is a New York's like movie character it's hilarious so lo and behold um and his captions are hilarious they are right <laughs> they're so random they're they're yeah and they're literally things that he experiences on a daily basis mm-hmm. so he has a notepad out and he um uh, sorry note notes on his phone and he's basically just jotting down all the conversations that he'll come through ah. a day so yeah um so anyways lo and behold celine was working with somebody who had a connection to this dude named aj uh, aj um albano and he's a filipino from staten island um so he's a, a barber and a vintage curator and he had just opened a studio space in in um in brooklyn so basically I get connected with AJ. Celine's like, yo, you got to meet AJ. He's super cool. I know you guys are going to vibe out so much. So I get connected with AJ through email. Um, lo and behold, through my rabbit hole searching, I realized that Steve and AJ were following each other on Instagram. So I was going back to New York for, for a trip in September um, and asked AJ to link us up through email because I was like, yo, if, if you can link me up with Steve, it would be awesome to, f- to meet with him and maybe we can go shoot some photos or just like link up. Um, so at the time, of course, we're doing all this Tumblr stuff and we have an online magazine that we've been running. So that idea of magazine was always incepted in my mind. And then finishing up my courses, figuring out what's next for me was, okay, cool. We're going to do something on our own. Or I had like at least the ambition to say, I'm going to take the leap of faith of getting out of my introverted sort of ways because I'm introverted by nature, but extroverted out of necessity. And again, going back to that moment of understanding that I had to go get it, I broke out of my shell a little bit and was reaching out more, you know, because it just felt like something that I needed to do to see if it was, you know, worth, you know, if the grass is greener on the other side. Mm. Um, so take that trip to New York, meet up with Steve, um, and we meet at a party of AJ's. He compliments me on my shoes before uh, these visums that I was wearing that he, we didn't even know that we were um, meeting each other spontaneously prior to actually being introduced to one another. So instantly with Steve, there was already a chemistry that was off the jump that um, sort of like validated why we were connecting with one another. So we, we basically make a plan to meet up the next day and we walk all through Brooklyn over the Williamsburg Bridge into Chinatown, LES, um, all over the place for about eight hours and getting to know one, one another. So ba- um, so on our way back to, to Brooklyn, um, we're on the Williamsburg Bridge and we're taking photos. And I remember the moment when I asked him, I was just like, yo, Steve, I'm like, I have this idea for maybe putting together like work where maybe we can you know, take your photography from New York, obviously from, you're from here, and take my photography from New York and maybe we can put together like a digital magazine that features both of our work and we can call it like, you know, Eric Philosopher versus Steve Sweatpants. Um, Steve had actually started his own Tumblr where he was actually doing that already, where he was, you know, doing photo walks with like a homie and it would be Steve plus um, Jose Silva or Steve plus Dave mm. Krugman, amazing photographers from New York who are um, some of the first people that we work with. Um, so prior to that, like what inspired me is, again, New York was already gaining community from it. So I, wa- I was looked at it and I'm like, yo, if we could potentially connect with people in New York City to make it the vehicle for these you know, Vancouver kids coming out here and making some noise, I think that this could be a really valid way for us to connect and use Instagram as a way to sort of create a whole new voice for photography, but also kind of like incept culture in, in, in a manner that 
could be super, super um, advantageous to everybody who might be inspired by it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, so I'll wrap up the story quickly. It's so we basically stand on the bridge and I ask him if I could uh, get some of his photography. So I get back to Vancouver with a hard drive with Steve's photos on it. Me and Mike work on a, uh, um, the first iteration of Street Dreams because that was the name of my Tumblr. So I was like, yo, Mike, let's call this Street Dreams. And I told Steve that on the bridge. I'm like, I think we should call this Street Dreams. He's like, yo, that's dope. Let's put it together. So me and, and Mike. Then, and can you tell um, listeners the meaning behind Street Dreams? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So Street Dreams is, for me, there's uh, multiple meanings. So for me, the reason why I chose it to start my street photography Tumblr as the name Street Dreams was because I felt as a street photographer at heart, um, for me, what I was doing was like living out my dreams. So the idea of like the combination of street dreams was really the idea of like putting your foot to the pavement every day and making your dreams happen. You know, like whether we're rich or poor, we all walk the same streets and we all dream. So that became like this motto that I think just translated into the idea of using street dreams to become the, the, the main foundation for how Mike, myself and Steve could collaborate to take digital work on Instagram and potentially put it as a cohesive piece that was curated, that was art focused, that was based on the work, um, and put it out for the community. So we start this magazine that we're gonna put out digitally at first, so it was just gonna be mine and Steve's um, work. We stay up to like seven in the morning one night, work directly for like 14 hours to do the first iteration of Street Dreams, Mike and I in his apartment in Richmond. Um, so two days after we finish it, uh, we send it to Steve, we're all super hyped on it, we're like cool, like okay cool, we're gonna start using this hashtag so I was like, Steve, um, let's start using Pound Street Dreams Mag as like our hashtag. So whenever we post on Instagram, let's just start throwing it up. So slowly, like as the process of us putting together Street Dreams, we started using this tag. So it was kind of like out in the open and people were even hitting Steve up, asking him like, yo, what's Street Dreams Mag? He's like, chill, chill, chill. Like it's, <laughs> you'll know soon enough. Um, so yeah, so we started the hashtag in between all this like alchemy of creating it. So we are going to put out a digital magazine two days after we finish it. Uh, we go to Fortune Sound Club, uh, shout out to G-Man, um, one random night and I'm standing uh, waiting to get a drink and I get tapped on the shoulder by an old high school friend that I hadn't seen in years. Um, and basically, you know, you start talking about obviously the catch up moment. So you're like, hey, what are you up to? He asked me um, and I said, you know, I went back to school for, for photography. I'm really trying to do this photography thing and I've been traveling back and forth to New York a lot and super inspired to kind of just like start this, you know, new career for myself. So lo and behold, I asked him what he'd done, and he said, um, his answer was, oh, me and my cousin, we, we bought a print shop. So there was this just like aha moment. We're right in the moment. Um, I sort of just like stood back, and I was like in awe of like this, the serendipity. The serendipity of it. So instantly I asked him, I was just like, yo, do you think there's any way that I can show you what it is that we're doing? And maybe there's potentially a way that we can, you know, put together a print publication or like bring this to life as a physical magazine. He said, yeah, man, like, you know, hit me up, hit him up the next week super excited I tell Mike and Steve I'm just like yo guys I think that we can actually turn this into something a little bit bigger so what if we actually reformat the look and the feel of the magazine but ask more photographers to be a part of it so my initial idea was just like the initial idea was if we could take six photographers from New York City to submit their photography work and all of them have like you know a decent follower count on Instagram like you know 20k and a combined follower count of let's say 50,000 followers between all six photographers if we can get like five to 10% of that audience, maybe we can sell like a hundred magazines. So that was sort of like the genesis of the idea. So we got together and put together the first edition of Street Dreams with six photographers. It took about three months to the look and the feel, the paper stock, 
like the redefinition of street dreams. So it ended up our intention with it was to take all this amazing work that we were sort of seeing on digital sources, bring it to physical, but create like an art gallery in your hands, make it super minimal, make it about like this white canvas for us to sort of then take the connotation away from street because there's also like that urban connotation to street in the sense of it being sort of like, you know, um, subcultures or maybe has like a negative. Unrefined. Unrefined, exactly. Mm. So shout out to Street Etiquette as well, started by Joshua Kissy and, and Travis Gums in New York City during the time. And they had started like this gentleman's club, sort of like celebrating black excellence through male figures, mm. um, really well-dressed, um, you know, individuals and just like the, the courtyard of like a government housing building. Mm. So Street Etiquette too really inspired us. And we've become friends with, with, um, with Josh and Steven. Josh have crazy history from them being in like the hype beast message boards back in the day just mm, like no way and supreme lineups in new york city so um that was also the emphasis too was just like let's take away the connotation from the street and make it art um so yeah so we put out the first edition of street dreams we get it into print and do like 150 copies of it put it out on instagram and it sells out instantly in about like seven hours and we knew from there that we had something yeah uh, to really build with yeah and then that turned into you i wanted i wanted to talk about the moment you knew that street dreams was something was something and that was a some sort of movement and i think it was issue three where you guys did a magazine curated by jeff staple yes and one of his his colleagues was it the director of marketing yeah director of yeah. marketing anna Sien. yes Shout yes, yes. Anna. She, she's a wonderful person yes and then you had an event at reed space gallery in the lower east side yes and that story is is incredible yeah that's the wave so we put out issue one 100 copies, sells out. We start getting like this like this influx of photographers using the hashtag and really becoming part of the community. So instantly off the jump, it became like this, this sort of like genre-defining moment in terms of, again, what was being built is that like, you know, I, I say Instagram and a lot of people have their own subjective approach to what Instagram is. And it's not about social media. It was just more about having the platform to connect with one another and having a place for us to share work. So that never knocked for me it just being mobile photography or, you know, some people are just taking photos of whatever. For me, it was like, yo, people are actually using this tool to become, to build photography careers. So if we mm -hmm. can be at the cusp of it and give people a place to not be told no, and that comes back to that gatekeeper conversation you have with people standing in front of you telling you maybe one day you can be in a magazine. That redefined the idea of us starting our own publication because we were going to say on the punk rock side of things, fuck it like this is for everybody like if we're gonna open up the back door we're gonna keep it open for as long as we can to get everybody in like mm. you know um so we started like taking this amazing approach to it so we basically in issue two we opened up the page count and we took six photographers but then we started doing hashtag pages so gallery grids of people's work that was being shared on street dreams mag so now you can share your work on street dreams mag the hashtag and be in the publication in the gallery grid with so like smart. over hundreds of photos. Mm -hmm. So it started gaining traction and traction. To, to this day, now Street Dreams Mag, five years into, six years into using it, it's um, just a little, a little under 13 million posts. So the influx of sort of like this defining moment for what that became as a tool for people to now have an output for it without even knowing it. Now you have 12-year-old kids who never grew up with a magazine wanting to be in a magazine. Mm. It was printed on a limited run, so then it became like how we always collected magazines, limited. Only 200 people are going to get this. So it became like this cult kind of item. Item, yeah, within one issue to the next. So issue two comes out. We get featured by Hypebeast. 
that was a huge moment because during the time Hypebeast was like the validator of a lot of things that were like current culture. That happens, we, we get hit up by like, Eugene and Alex who were at Hypebeast at the time and we're like connecting with them. Um, Mark Brand, an amazing person who's obviously a, an alumni of the craft, mm -hmm. um, got in contact with me through a writer for High Snobiety at the time. His name is Chris Danforth, who's from Vancouver. And he saw Street Dreams, hit me up. He's like, yo, I really want to check this out. So I linked up with him, gave him a copy. He tells me, I got to give this to Mark Brand because you got to meet Mark. He's like an amazing mentor of mine and just like a friend. Gives it to Mark. He sees issue two and we basically, uh, issue one, and we basically strike up this this conversation with Mark and we're like, uh, he had a gallery at the time called Catalog at the old Tinseltown. And he loved what we were doing, was all about it. And he gave us our first show at the Catalog Gallery. So issue two was jumped off in Vancouver on a low-key show at the Catalog Gallery. About 100 people came out, but it created the template for us to create like a gallery exhibit model template for how it is that we do Street Dreams events. Mm. So going back to the sort of the approach of it, we're like, okay, we're going to feature photographers from all over different cities. Now let's start going into different cities and just focusing on specific photographers from that community and making up the makeup to just be a show about them. So if it's LA edition, New York edition, Japan edition, just bring it here and create the canvas but it's really about these amazing photographers who are just under the street dream sort of umbrella and we're just here to propel it so that people can interact with it mm. so we do issue two create a template for it during the time we all have a conversation together and mike and steve and i and we thought to ourselves we're like okay cool if there's any store in new york that we can get street dreams into what store would it be and right off the jump in unison, we all said Reed Space. Because <laughs> Reed Space was that place where Jeff Staple, shout out to Jeff, who's an amazing friend and mentor as well for uh, Steve and the team in general. Um, but what he had created with Reed Space was sort of like this multi-tiered approach to how he approached creativity. He was a shoeware designer. He had a retail space that carried all these brands, was like a hub for the community in New York City, Lower East Side. So Steve would always hang out at Reed Space. And it was always this place where nobody kicked you out. Like you could be there chilling, looking at the magazines and just chopping it up with the staff. And it was really like this cultural hub for people to just like be around, you know, what Jeff and his team were curating. So Steve Cold walks into the, the Reed Space when we drop issue two, we do the show here in Vancouver. He approaches the managers and he's like, yo, I got this magazine. He's like, would there be any way that I could get it to be placed in here? Um, so they say yes, they take it on consignment. I think 10 copies and they're like yeah if you know obviously consignment works if it sells you get the money back we do a split cool super gas mm -hmm. so from there um steve gets invited to agenda which is a trade show in new york city like a big cultural trade show so this is when issue two's out and we had already released it it's in reed space serendipitous happens again and steve meets jeff staple and anna who were at um agenda because reads i think uh, staple had a booth there or something so they start chopping it up and steve asked them from there, he's just like, hey, uh, do you guys think you guys want to could, could become guest editors for the next edition of the magazine because we really want to do a New York show? So at that point, we're already preset about saying, like, we're going to go to issue three in the fall of, um, uh, I, I forget what year, 2015, and drop the magazine there. So Steve strikes up this conversation with Jeff and Anna, and they agree to be in the magazine. So then we concoct this idea. We're just like, yo, we should ask them if we can do the actual drop at Read Space. So they're super down for it. Jeff and Anna curate a whole grid for Staple Pigeon hashtag. Um, so we prepare to do issue three, put together another amazing edition, um, heavily uh, focused on New York photographers because we're going to, you know, we're going to the city. So we set up at Reed Space, and Reed Space isn't a huge retail space. It probably fits about like 80 people comfortably. Um, 
So they basically clear everything out. We start setting up on the walls, putting up our first gallery show in New York City. Um, there was amazing photographers from London who had come in for the show, um, just people that we knew in our network that were already sort of like started to gravitate towards like these street dreams events that we were creating. So um, yeah, so we start setting up the show. Me and Mike mid setup, he made a bet and he's just like, yo, he's like, if more than a hundred people come today, he said, that he said, um, cause I didn't think a hundred people were going to show up. So he's like, if more than a hundred people show up, you owe me Shake Shack. So Shake Shack at the time, <laughs> I, just, I mean, Shake Shack was like mind blowing when you first had bet. it in New York city. Like <laughs> the early days of Shake Shack was just like, this is the greatest burger ever. So it was a really big thing to be like, okay, cool. Let's do it. I thought like 70 people are going to show up. So boom, boom, we're setting up the show. The doors are supposed to open at seven o'clock. Um, don't even have a chance to look outside. People are coming in. We're scrambling to put up prints. Thumbs are hurting from <laughs> from like all the tacks that we're using in, in, in the wall. Have stacks of Street Dreams magazine issue three out. Um, and then all of a sudden, I remember Steve taps, taps me on the shoulder. He's like, yo, you got to go look outside. And so this is like five minutes before the doors open. Put up the last print, come outside, open it up. And I remember clear as day, going back to the dreams, it felt like this foggy, like New York moment that just came out of like everything that I'd ever watched, ever read about New York City. It came outside and you saw the street flooded with 600 people all waiting to get into the Street Dreams uh, issue three event. So mind blasted. We're like, okay, cool. We're going to open up the doors. <laughs> we open up the doors, floods with people. Um, 15 minutes into the drink, I remember in the back bar, I was about to get a PBR because they had a ton of PBR that just got sponsored for the event. All of a sudden, I'm getting it. The homies opening it up, cracks it, and all of a sudden, at the corner of my eye, I see um, the, the the store manager uh, from uh, Reed Space get up on a table, and she starts saying, "Yo, everybody needs to start clearing out now. Go out this back route because the NYPD is here <laughs> and the show is shut down." So this is 15 minutes into the doors opening. So lo and behold, the NYPD comes through because it got called because there were 600 people on the streets just for something. So they come through. I'm talking about like straight from the movies, plain clothes, the detectives holding up their badges, asking what's going on here. We're just like, yo, it's just a photo show. <laughs> like just pictures on the wall and there's a magazine for sale. Like that's all it is. There's nothing more like it's nothing nefarious happening here. But lo and behold, that moment happened, solidified, like we're stunned. We all just chill on the street for hours after that. Um, but that solidified like the movement of street dreams becoming sort of like this key thing of shutting down New York. Yeah. And I mean, if y'all know, y'all know New York, like it's the Mecca. So if you can make noise there and which was the intention of all of this, that was the solidification moment of understanding that we really have something here and yeah. it's something that we're going to be able to harness for a short amount of time. But as we do it right, we're going to be able to transition into forever. And Go, lo and behold, there's only been two times that ReadSpace ever got shut down in its history. RIP ReadSpace because it shut down last year during the pandemic. Um, so that location isn't there, but I'm sure Jeff and the team will um, pop up somewhere else soon in the near future. But um, there's only been two times that the, the, the store got shut down. Once was when Jeff released his staple dunks, which is like the most iconic dunk ever, the pigeon dunks, shut down. The only sec the second time was Street Dreams. Was you three. guys, yeah. And that in and of itself was like this moment, which is like, yo, okay, we got to do this. So issue four, we got a huge <laughs> space, had a thousand people come rock out with us. And, and New York Times article in 2015. That's yeah, so crazy. So that was built off of it's that. Amazing. So the cultural moment shifting that happened at Reed Space and the idea that we got put on the map with us just like 
we're, we became a publication for the new generation of photography that was being built. But at the same time, bridging the gap between the past and the present, because we always knew, coming from our art history backgrounds, coming from culture, like this is deep in terms of understanding, paying homage to the fact that you really need to love and obsess about things and bridge the gap, because this is not disrespectful. This is about culture and understanding that we're now have a voice to curate how it is that we look at art. So the goal from the jump was just giving an equal space to saying like, if you're shooting for 20 minutes, 20 hours, 20 years, we can all share the same magazine space. So we knew that we were always gonna start looking at like the different tiers of photographers. Culminated with that, we always gave space to it being an equal featuring of six photographers, three males and three females, because this is mm. not the dude show. <laughs> I grew up around amazingly strong mm. women. All of us were born to brilliant mothers and understand the balance of how that needs to be respected and it's never been something that we ever wanted to look past because the photography community in general and art I want to say is a little bit male dominated specifically photography it's the old white man game so everything we did was just like yo if it's going to be six photographers after issue one we're like three females three males mm. and just like start spreading the net in terms of just having people from different environments culminating themselves into sharing this work and then we can then start looking at culminating each edition going forward with like the photographers in different levels of their career so an, you know really beginner career a mid-career artist and then a really established artist so issue four happened had a thousand people come out and rock with us another gangbuster show the photography community is like super super hype like we're hype because we're going to new york we have this whole new families like we're living our dreams um so lo and behold i think somebody that attended the party was like an amateur photographer and who had a wife who was a writer named Valeria for the New York Times. So after issue four, we got notoriety in New York City, so we got asked to do an Apple talk um, in between issue four and issue five. So we get asked to do an Apple talk in Apple and at the Apple store in Soho. So it's like the pop-in the, the yeah. pop location. So they start doing this programming with Apple. It was like the first times that they're having people come in and do creative talks. So when you go into the Apple store, we go there for our talk, we get asked to do it. We're like, cool, we're gonna do a panel. It's gonna be me, Mike, Steve. Um, I think Dave Krugman, who's an amazing photographer from New York, who's been like a beacon of the community from the jump, and he's one of our first, first team members. Um, and then it was moderated by another one of uh, an amazing photographer from New York named Jerm Cohen, who we asked, cause he's just this like amazing, brilliant cartoon-like character from New York City uh, to moderate it. Cause we didn't know what was happening. So we're like, cool, we're gonna tell the street dream story. So we pull up to the Apple Soho store and there's a talk going on before us and it's George Lopez, the comedian of, you know, various amounts of fame. So there's a seating area in the back of the store that has a little um, uh, stage and about seating for about like 70 people comfortably to sit down in the stage. So it was, it was almost fairly packed. It was like about 65 people in there. So as we come in, we were really noticing that behind the stage where the Apple computers are and just like the regular retail shop is happening, there's already people that we know who are lining up for our, for, for our talk. So we're coming in, we're saying, what's up to people? Apple team, team comes out and takes us to the green room to wait until George Lopez is done doing his thing. We're waiting in the green room, super nervous. Uh, <laughs> you know, I'm trying to stay cool for everybody. Like, yo, it's fine. We're just going to do this. You know, like, let's just talk about what we love. Um, so anyways, we're sitting there getting a drink of water, Steve's pale. Um, <laughs> and all of a sudden the door opens and Don Cheeto walks in, the actor. And we're just like, 
you know, this Don Cheeto. So Don <laughs> Cheeto comes in, but he says hi to, I think it was George Lopez's family. So there was like, you know, personal people back there. So he says hi to whoever was there. But as he hugs the person that he's saying hi to, he kind of looked at us sideways and looked to, to us where we're just chilling in the back. And he kind of looked at us almost being like, yo, who are these guys? Um, not in a negative way, but almost like very curious as mm. to like, who's this? Because they're obviously the next people that are going to talk. Like, who are they? Um, so he says hi to us. We say, what's up? Um, lo and behold, after that, George Lopez comes in and he does the exact same thing. <laughs> he looks at us. He looks at Don Chino. And he's saying hi to everybody, but he's looking at us bewildered. So we didn't know why it was bewildered. We thought it was just like, oh, yo, like maybe they don't know us. But it, it didn't seem like it was a negative thing. It was just more like, what's going on here? So lo and behold, we come out, door opens, pan cinematically, 300 people inside the Apple store. Mm. And we're just like, yo. <laughs> Fully filled in the standing room only. They allowed people to chill in the back. They, the Apple store, the Apple um, uh, producers are just like, I don't know. We didn't know. <laughs> so everyone's there and we tell the story. Lo and behold, um, the person that had gone to the to the issue four event and couldn't make it to the Apple talk asked his wife Valeria to go to the talk for him mm. who happens to be a New York Times writer so she sits in sees the story and about three months later hits us up to write an article f about us and the project for the New York Times um, yeah so that kind of led us into that happening in 2015 yeah and I, I love what you had shared with me the other day about you know when that article came out what it what it meant for Steve yeah, I mean, for all of us, and specifically, obviously, Steve, being born and raised from New York City, there's a there's a different experience that you know a lot of us can't speak to, uh, other than being a black man in America, and that's something that you know we've always been conscious of in terms of you know his his role in this and how much obviously all of us have faced. Again, going back to the immigrant story, like Mike sees from a Filipino family, first generation. Um, myself being from Chilenos and Steve is uh, comes from deep roots with his mother in Brownsville, Brooklyn, which is considered the hardest borough, uh, part of the borough and his father being from the deep south, so North Carolina. So we can only think about like what he's experienced in his life and you know, some people aren't supposed to make it in a lot of ways, you know, so when the New York Times article comes out, so issue five drops, we do that in Chicago Shout out to Jason M. Peterson, who was the chief creative officer at an agency called Havas. And Havas was just like this dope agency um, that has obviously offices all around the world, but they had like this dope space in Chicago and we did our party there. Um, OG Chase B, who's Travis Scott's DJ, DJ the event. Virgil Abloh was supposed to DJ that event, but he was on tour doing some stuff because Jason's connected to all these people. Like Jason's like a legend in like the advertising and just like creative game. So he brought us to Chicago. We had 600 people in Havas rocking the floor like jumping in unison at the party um so it was another gangbuster show um and then we planned to do issue six in toronto mm. and we were going to call it six in the six so there was like this heyday of us finally coming back to canada and doing something in toronto so during the time we had started working with creator class um, which was an amazing creative collective um sponsored uh sorry powered by canon and we had become like one of the first creators who started uh, producing original content for the creator class for about two years. So that was a big partnership that we created with High Snobiety, um, Explore Canada, and the creator class to do like this multinational show where we brought um, Taku, who's an amazing- Taku Beats. Yeah, Taku yeah. Beats from uh, Australia. Amazing. To uh, Toronto with us, because he's an amazing photographer, obviously incredible creative, music is his thing, songs to make up to, songs to break up to in his fields. So we became like amazing friends with Reggie uh, Taku, um, 
so he got to come to Toronto with us that time. So in between four, we dropped five. We're doing the interview with the New York Times. It comes out in September 2015, like just after we had dropped issue six. So the photographer for the New York Times article came to issue six event. Gangbusters again, multi-tiered event. We had a photo walk. Then we started basically activating going to these cities and doing multiple events at a time. So we'd have like a photo walk the, t the day prior where everybody would come out. The photo walk for issue six was amazing because there's like 200 people on the streets in the pouring rain, like epically. It's actually documented on the Creator Class. If anybody has a chance to check out the Creator Class channel and look at Street Dreams, there's some amazing uh, documentation there. But we had that, we had the party. Selection, which is another amazing creative collective from California who became like akin uh, partnership with us was in the town, in, in the city, and we had this amazing party where it just became like a super cool vibe. So the photographer comes to our party, takes a photo of me and Mike and Steve for the article. Obviously our team has grown since then, so we have amazing people behind the scenes who, you know, help us do what we do. But, you know, us being the founders, we get our, our portrait taken, and then the, the article drops, I think it was like, it must have been like on a Sunday, it drops online in September. Um, and I'm in New York City with Steve because at that time we had landed, um, you know, gigs to start just like doing content for different companies, just like on the low, mm -hmm. after, specifically after the, the, the Apple talk. So that started kind of building up this notoriety of people sort of seeing us and Apple being the first brand that actually reached out to us, be like, yo, tell your story. It started showing that there was this like new wave of brand engagement with companies and collectives like ours that had you know a cultural sort of epicenter to it mm. so i'm there doing uh, doing something with him i can't remember specifically what but the article drops online at first and then it's coming out in the paper like the, the monday so we didn't even know it was going to drop all of a sudden we get the notification that it's out and we're in complete awe and we just had like this amazing moment where steve and i are heading back to uh, bedsty um brooklyn where he resides and I remember we got off the train and we basically, he just broke down in the middle of the street um, because of how monumental the moment was for us to understand that we had taken this idea and him going through this gambit of emotions of everything that he's experienced as a, as a, per, a born and raised New Yorker and how hard it is to, and how important it is to make your mark in New York City if you ever have a chance to do that. But that avalanching into him and myself of understanding that like this was built off of three people who like to begin with who had their back against the walls like we all had this urge and need to find one another so that we can make good on our lives mm. because we had potentially just painted ourselves into a corner that wasn't necessarily, it was in our control, but it was only because we never had the capacity to find the road to doing what it is that we needed to do for ourselves. But you made it for yourself. So we made it. So that moment was really special because, you know, like a flood of emotions came, um, you know, we had that moment with Steve and it was just like a, a really big moment of just how it is that we built our friendship and our brothership at the end of the day. Like, you know, it's, it's gone through ebbs and flows and, you know, family is family. You're, you, you understand how it is, how hard it is to work with one another at times. Um, but it's never, it, the good outweighs the bad in the sense of it always culminated in the fact that I think we need to be grateful for the fact that we've changed each other's lives and we're able to bring a bunch of people along the ride with us. So mm. that's built off of all the support that we have in the background though, right? That's our families never giving up on us. That's us you know, pushing when people told you not to push. That's when you needed to make mistakes. That's when you had mental health lapses. That's being in the darkest tunnel ever, but finally seeing light at the end of the tunnel and not necessarily being at it, but moving towards it. And I think that's what's important to anyone who struggles with things. We're all in a dark tunnel. It just depends on how bright the light is at the end of it. And that's what I think I try to strive to mm. 
represent through everything that we've experienced with street dreams so far. And I think too, just to add to that is is that belief in yourself that you can get to that light on the other side. You know, like Very true. that it's that it's in you too. And I, you know, it's just so amazing um, what happened after that yeah. you you guys essentially became a creative studio we did and um you've we've worked with so many brands you have tribeca film festival coach nike honda at&t iceland air so much more yeah. the question that i have in and around that is what do you think street dreams brought to the table that other agencies weren't doing and you guys most certainly have like a very distinctive visual voice that's just very very compelling it just feels really real and raw yeah authenticity um so soon after the new york times article that opened up the floodgates of understanding that we got the notoriety for companies to really start looking at us so coach was one of the first companies that reached out to us soon after the new york times article dropped and asked us to come to london and document their first menswear collection in 30 years and the idea with it was with was with what they were doing on their side was redefining the voice of coach because at that point it'd become like the mom bag with the C on it. And, you know, you can get it at the outlet store, but now it's coming into like ready to wear again and really sort of like looking for a new audience to engage with. So for some reason, uh, the creative directors and the, the social media team found us, I guess, through the New York times article. And we're like, this is the voice and the culture that we want to redefine through the new lens that we're bringing to the table. So right off the jump, the fact that we had a built in community, that we were super authentic with our storytelling, that the curation was just off the charts, that there was like a high level of art and sort of like style to it that became our own. Street Dreams became a culture. And as we know, you can't build culture. You can't come in and say, I'm building culture today. This is culture. Culture builds itself. So with that reverberation, I think of just like the authenticity that was oozing through our entire spirit and that going back to that punk rock mentality where it's just like, yo, no, 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 we're gonna do this. Um, we really feel like we're the punk rock of photography and that's coined by Steve. He said it a while, a long, long time ago, but that really rang true because it's that same spirit of the rebelliousness of saying, no, we're going to do it this way because if we just fight hard enough, then you know, we know we're going to make some noise and people can't not pay attention to it once we start sort of getting momentum behind the thunderous uh, presence that can be potentially built behind the fact that we're just going to do it full tilt and wear our heart on our sleeve through everything that we do. So I think it was authenticity that brought the brands to us because then it started becoming apparent that it wasn't just photography, it was about our ideas. It was about mm. the fact that we had a voice that we could help mold campaigns with, that we could integrate our agency opportunities into still building for the community. So whether that be working with Honda and doing photo walks in f different cities around the US and having people come out to shoot the cars on the streets and then getting a credit in a magazine that's made by us that's distributed at all the dealerships in North America that's where we were connecting the commerce and the art into mm. saying, if we're going to get an opportunity, if there's any way, shape or form for us to pitch a gallery show, a photo walk, a event to meet with people and have them interact with the space, then that will grow your brand association tenfold. So I think we were really on the cusp of understanding the forward thinking approach of the authenticity of saying it's got to be real people. It's got to be real stories. Yeah, I was just going to say, you know, if you if you look at the work that's you know on 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 street dreams it just it feels like real life it just feels like life it's not always you know and life isn't always pretty and polished it's 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 real and 
again, going back to our upbringing, like it's all about being real. You know, it's about being into hip hop and only listening to hip hop. If you know, if you were into punk and you only listen to punk, for me, shout out to the Beastie Boys. I have to say this, they're the crossover for me when I started listening to the Beastie Boys and heard an interview with them and they talked about their punk roots and they dropped uh, their favorite band's name and they said Bad Brains. And I was like, yo, Bad Brains, <laughs> Bad Brains changed my life. Um, but yeah, so that idea of just like trying to represent the purest form of everything that we were ever inspired by was what this all culminated as. Mm. But at the same time, it was just about building the bridge behind saying, if we can create something that's sustainable, then we can give opportunity to others to then build their resumes through this. Mm. Through all of this, what's been amazing is that we've all still maintained our autonomy through it all. And Steve, Mike, and myself have built career paths for ourselves that are ingrained within Street Dreams. Yeah. Um, so in and of itself, I think we were just on the cutting edge of redefining how, and I say agency for lack of a better term, because I really feel like it's a creative collective. Um, and more of like a culture space than more than anything else. It started showing that we weren't necessarily getting hired to work for companies. We're working with them mm. and they really valued what we were doing. Mm -hmm. They really valued for us to come in and change the whole voice for like Tribeca Film Festival who we worked with for five years. And we basically had 30 events in 11 days where we were hiring like a hundred photographers in New York city to go to these places. We did a contest with them in our second year where we flew in two photographers who just shared on a hashtag to come shoot the red carpets with us. Mm. We were bringing females onto the red carpet when you're talking about red carpets filled with nothing but men with six camera straps on them and like this old brutish kind of look to what photography sort of represented in a lot of ways. If you were not like, I want to say like in the editorial architecture or like fashion space, then it's a very grunty kind of photography sort of like identity to it you know mm. what i'm saying like again not for nothing and we're just talking about market share but it's really like the older white man genre of craft of choice yeah. of leisure of amateurism so we walk onto these red carpets with girls all kinds of stuff and they're looking at us sideways the first year because we're coming in with one camera just being super confident in our abilities of just like documenting space and telling the cultural story of anything that's put in front of our lens mm -hmm. and we're first positioned in front of all of them you should see their jaws drop because we're coming in as these new people on the block yeah redefining these kids that's what i mean yeah. and, and 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 more so like that's year one by year three they're asking us about our cameras mm. you know what i mean so mm -hmm. it's it's this approach of us just again saying that we're going to always shake this up and make sure that this doesn't define itself by being anything else except a platform that can be painted on and alchemized in a manner that it's about whoever wants to sort of bring magic to the table with us for because the base is about authenticity narratives storytelling and just creativity yeah. and art that just anchors it all so that in and of itself just alchemizes itself into a space where you know being able to do internal work for nike and help them redefine running or work with new balance and and and, and you know do their main campaign for the New York City Marathon. Uh, it's 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 just mind blowing to us mm -hmm. because now we're being asked to come behind the scenes and help them create a standard for what other people get hired to do. I think that's super important. It's incredible, and you know, um, just a few more questions because you know I am cognizant of your your time. Um, we could talk the, forever. I way. know we could. We totally could. My apologies. <laughs> um, but, um, you know, the one thing that I did want to say, listening to you right now and everything that you, you're saying, everything that you're saying about, you know, b bringing females, you know, onto these these carpets to, um, you know, st street dreams gives creatives a chance. And 
you know, at the end of the day, every human wants to be acknowledged and they want to be seen. And I feel like you've really done that for creatives and, and photographers yeah. across the world. And I think that is just, you know, what a gift. Super blessed. So mm. give thanks and praises every day for being here and pushing forward. Yeah, yeah. So uh, just a couple more questions. Yeah, of course. Um, one of them being... Yeah, where, well, where does Street Dreams go from here? I mean, you have the magazine, you have, you know, your creative collective slash studio. You've got this enormous brand clout. You've got uh, the clothing la the clothing yeah, label that's available merch, in cool merch. Japan, in, in Japan, in Tokyo. Um, you just finished your successful three month residency in in Seaport. Yes, Seaport, right? Yeah, Seaport District, District. in New York. Yeah, yes, and you did like you did the show celebrating the wins. Yep. there was the pop up curated a vintage store yeah you know what's where do you guys go from here it's it's um it, it's cool seeing again the natural blessings that have come to us none of this stuff has ever been forced um and i say that with the most humbleness that i can because it was really sort of like this 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 blueprint that was set out by us based on intention and these dominoes started to fall as soon as we started giving ourselves up to something that maybe we never tried before and finding each other in the right moment in time and then building a team that was there to support it and understood the vision and was there to wholeheartedly work for nothing. Um, for the first three years of all this, like me and Mike, specifically me for a little bit more time than Mike, sp slept on Steve's floor in bed -Stuy. Like Steve subletted his room at one point and lived in the living room while we all slept on the floor for the first three years of starting Street Dreams. We land in London to do coach. And me and Steve got 20 euros in between both of us sharing Subway sandwiches and getting $10,000 worth of gear to be outfitted to go shoot <laughs> menswear show for coach. So again, it was like, I burned through all my savings to go back to school. Like it was the leap of faith that I think opened up the opportunity to say, I think they've gone through enough and are ready to put in the work to get to the next level. Mm -hmm. So from the, the, you know, starting from the digital space and Instagram, that curtailing itself into a physical publication, that leading us into doing community events to bring people together based on that publication, then that opening up the door for people to hear our story and wanna speak about it. And then that grabbing the attention of brands to that then becoming a space for us to reintegrate that back into our community I think the future is all about connecting everything into like this fully living ecosystem that for me culminated to specifically what even happened in New York City with the amazing job that the New York team um, did putting together, celebrating the wins at the Seaport District, which was like the biggest case study for us to get to that point where we can show that we can do a brick and mortar space for three months that has a gallery, a retail space and programming that's curtailed everything from Street Dreams radio parties to conversations about nfts and like the future of what creativity really matters like we're at the cusp of now taking all of that and having the amazing case studies built off of everything that we've done in this space through all of it and are now finding partners who can come in and help us support exactly that creating institutional foundations that reside in the spaces of art galleries to cool multidisciplinary incubator ideas so that's where i think the future is it's like mm -hmm. combining all of that together and like I mentioned, it's been amazing also still growing a path as a photographer and a creative director through the opportunities built off Street Dreams because it's still giving me individual opportunities, each one of us to still progress ourselves 
in our own identity that's aside from street dreams that maybe becomes almost like Wu-Tang where yeah. Wu-Tang Clan is the crew but you got Method Man, Raekwon, you know, Inspect the Deck, Jizza, and everyone has their own solo album. So that's a beautiful thing now being able to see that as well where I just finished up a, you know, a three-year partnership with Zeiss which is insane to me. Like the fact that I shoot how I shoot and I want to almost like I'm inspired by minimalism and design and architecture and to see like a German company come to find me to do this work is again the intention of it and it just blows my mind every day to understand that people are asking us to tell their stories or asking us to be a part of these journeys with them and it's only giving back to the greater good of how street mm -hmm. dreams can build off of anything that I do or that Steve does or that Mike does it's still going to come back to street dreams because the opportunity is sort of like cohesively built into everything that we do. And it will just keep evolving as yeah, yeah. the world does. Exactly. Mm. So that's what it is. It's, I think it's just continuing to tell these stories through every facet of creativity and solidifying Street Dreams Vancouver as like a new, new, yes. new sort of breeding ground, which we're obviously mm -hmm. trying to, we're working in the about. background about. Yes. Um, so little things like that where I think the pandemic taught me by default or just almost a very coldly to stop and I think that it was the biggest gift in a lot of ways to understand my environment and really be grateful for where I'm from and understanding that the same way that we've connected the dots all around the world culminating in issue 15 which dropped in Japan in 2019 before the pandemic hit and it was we were planning 16 and 17 were going to happen in London in Africa that was what was in the plans for 2020 so it's crazy thinking about that but our trajectory got stunted a little bit in that sense but it was only because we needed to come back to the source of everything that made us happy um, and not understand that maybe sometimes, you know, you kind of fall off the course of what the original mission was, but it's an amazing moment to come back and reset, launch mm -hmm. the web space, start working on the next editions of Street Dreams after almost like a two year layoff now mm -hmm. um, and come back with a refreshed approach of like the intention again and connecting all these amazing opportunities that we have and being more confident in our abilities and connecting with the wonderful people like yourself and the craft and just trying to alchemize a new kind of cultural wave even here in Vancouver and yeah. Canada in general. I love it and I, I can't wait for that to start really, really happening here, especially in Vancouver. Very soon. Yeah, very <laughs> soon. Uh, more to come. Uh, my my second to last question is, um, you know, this brotherhood that you have with with both Mike and Steve, um, you know, what do you, what do you appreciate about these two guys in your life? Um, you know, Mike's like my big brother. He's, inspired me so much through his 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 lens and how he curated like his experiences um steve's you know the little brother that i never had and i don't say that in, a, in any sense of it being like amateurish it's just like you know through our experiences so we have an amazing range where we're all in the same part of our lives but in almost in just different chapters so we have like this very big range of experience to I'm going through this shit right now oh shit I went through that as well so maybe we can help each other along the path so I think the biggest gift that we've given ourselves and this extends to everybody who's part of street dreams is that it's really a family and it's a family of outcasts and misfits that you know I don't want to sound cliche but it's you know it took t a couple people from Vancouver to, to like wrangle up these New York characters and contextualize something that we could all now make a global sort of like movement um, so I think it's family mm. at the end of the day. And again, you know, we've all gone through tons of things. Um, you know, life goes on and we all deal with, you know, uh, 
you know, are, are separate segments of how life sort of maneuvers for us in the background. Um, and the pandemic obviously just, you know, really, really threw me for a loop in a lot of ways and, and you know, put a strain on relationships. But it was all just about being honest and being able to find new ways to communicate with one another because you have to think about like how we got kneecapped by not being able to move around. Like we started to realize like we weren't spending much time in Vancouver. Like we were always thinking about the next place to go to. And then even going to New York and that being like our second home and consistently being with the team. And it, some things don't transfer over to Zoom. Some things don't transfer over to mm. just talking or, you know, falling off the map because, you know, you're in a place where you can't even let anybody know of what's happening. So in and of itself, I think the family aspect of it is just really what it is. And they've allowed me to look at myself in a different manner and, and check myself in a, in, a, in a way where I need to be a better communicator sometimes I'm very sort of like cold and I can drop off and sort of like flip the script because of my very um, intense perspective on things. Um, but at the end of the day, it's teamwork. And we understand that this is about winning championships and keeping a dynasty strong and mm. evolving with one another and supporting each other through anything that each one of us wants to do. So, you know, we all have our own goals, but at the same time, it's all built off of the foundation that Street Dreams has allowed us to create a life with. So yeah, going forward, it's about just continuously building this in the most natural, honest way possible, continuing to be a voice for our culture and, you know, rubbing, you know, the genie lamp to keep manifesting, you know, more intention, uh, I think is what is important. So mm. it's all about family and we feel like anybody who supports Street Dreams is our family. Mm. Um, You've got a worldwide yeah. fam. <laughs> it's, it's exciting. It's, it's, yeah, there's, there's definitely a lot of amazing people out there that like we mentioned earlier, just want to be supported. Yeah. And you giving a platform for these stories to be told and us giving a platform for photography to be shared. And now just art in general is, you know, part of the greater good, I think. I think so too. Yeah. Mm. Which, you know, is a perfect segue into my last question. With, uh, with what it is that you do, and I ask this of everyone, what is it that you want to leave behind in the world? Legacy means everything. And I think that's subjective to a lot of, People obviously, like you have your own definition of legacy, but for me, it's important to make good on the sacrifices that everyone before me made. And the legacy that I choose to create is to speak through art and give people the platform to understand that it doesn't matter where you come from. And again, not to sound cliche, but it's, it's looking at the underdogs and maybe being part of that underdog story and, and, and maybe being an inspiration to somebody who either picked up a camera or feels like they can get their work into a publication because they've seen it on Street Dreams or reaches out to a brand because they feel like they're inspired enough to do that. It's, it's about continuously creating a foundation for the idea to, to just grow in and of itself and last way past us on this earth and be able to inspire you know all these future generations because the youth is where it's at but at the same time, you're never too old to continuously keep learning. And as long as I keep doing that as an individual and try to reflect that through every endeavor that I have, whether it's personal, whether it's private, whether it's out in the open, I'm just trying to be honest through everything that I create. And if that honesty can inspire other people to take a leap of faith through my story and be real with it, then I think that that's where our legacy lies is, is, is being able to just be authentic through every cadence that you have as a human being mm. um, and know that you're going to 
mess up, you know? This is not saying anybody's perfect. It's just about knowing that you show the scars as much as you show, like, the wins, you know? And, yeah, so I think that's where mm. we've offered ourselves at least an opportunity to have a foundation built that we can continuously now, you know, develop. Yeah, so it's and more to come. And we're just getting started. Like, this is really started. just scratching the surface, you yeah. know? So very humbled to understand that mm. I have an opportunity now to create a life, not only for myself, but the people around me that can inspire them to, you know, push forward. Mm. Wow. Well, that's, I think that's a pretty beautiful cadence to live life by. I agree. Eric, thank you so much for being here and for sharing your story and always your insights. I I very, very much appreciate you as a friend. I, I, I'm the type of person that really tries to always live in the possibility of, of things. And I always feel like after sitting down and idea exchanging with you and, and just chatting about life in general, my my view of possibility grows like a thousandfold. So thank you for for being that for me in my life and 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 for others. I'm extremely humbled, echoing all your sentiments to the highest degree. Um, thank you for being such an amazing listener and moderator of life and stories. I think it's amazing seeing you grow into this role and from the first conversation we had with like the intention that you said about starting something similar to this, or like the genesis of the idea, it's um, it's equally as inspiring to see this stuff and that's what we're all inspired by. I think it's the people around us and, and understanding that there's a lot still to work on, but as long as we work on it together, then it'll make it a little more comfortable, but also a lot more worth it, you know? So thank you for having this platform and, and I'm honored to to be a guest and put it on wax yes put it on <laughs> wax this is this is what makes life worth living so so thank you so much and so much love for you likewise thank you if you enjoyed that last conversation be sure to check out more episodes with craft on spotify and guest photo galleries on the website at wearethecraft.com thanks again for listening